Anderson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 79. Patrick Rands interviews me about my music. Well, it's now the end of September 2010, and in just two months in November 2010, Whiplash Records in the UK, also known as Sound of Salvation Records, will be reissuing my 1972 album, Twice Upon a Rhyme. It'll be reissued in a vinyl repressing. I've seen an advanced copy. It has all the trimmings. It looks great. There's a long history to Twice Upon a Rhyme, which, as I mentioned, was first released in 1972. That was by Happy Sad Records, my own record company, as a matter of fact. And lots of things have happened over the years, and some of the songs from Twice Upon a Rhyme will no doubt sound familiar to you because I've used bits and pieces of them right here in the Light On, Light Through podcast. In fact, the music you just heard at the beginning, the so-called bumper music, as we call it in podcast world, That comes from one of the cuts of Twice Upon a Rhyme. And in December 2008, a South Korean record company, Big Pink Records, also known as Beatball, I don't know why these companies always have more than one name, but they issued a really fine-looking and fine-sounding mini-CD of Twice Upon a Rhyme, along with three bonus cuts. Twice Upon a Rhyme was reviewed, I guess, back in uh, 2002 in a Japanese magazine, Record Collectors Magazine. Uh, The songs have been played here and there on the web. And in June 2006, I drove up to Boston for one of the best interviews I ever did. I didn't conduct the interview. I was the subject of the interview. It was conducted by Patrick Rands, and it was broadcast on WZBC Radio. That's the radio station out of Boston College. Beautiful college in the suburbs of Boston. And since then, that interview has been bouncing around here and there on the web. I thought I'd put it up in its entirety. It's a little over an hour. And lots of goodies in this interview. I tell how I first met the late Ellie Greenwich. She wasn't late in 2006. I'm sorry to say she is now. But I first met her in Central Park, singing with Stu Nittickman and Ira Margolis. Our group then was called The New Outlook. And Ellie and Mike Rashgow then signed us to Atlantic Records. I talk about the real reason that Boris Midney, who played saxophone, clarinet, and drums on some of the cuts on Twice Upon a Rhyme, the real reason that he left the Soviet Union back in the 1960s. Boris, by the way, has gone on to have a great career as a disco producer. Lots of other good stuff in this interview as well. But rather than my describing it, why don't I put the interview on right now? As I said, it's a little over an hour. Hope you enjoy it. 
there will be show notes for the interview that I'm posting on Light On, Light Through. That's L-I-G-H-T-O-N, L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com. A complete list of the songs in this interview that are played in their entirety as well as links to other places on the web where you can hear more about my music. So sit back, enjoy, and I'll be back after the interview with a couple of final words. Welcome to another edition of WZBC's Test Pattern, the weekly show here at WZBC where we spotlight an artist, a genre, or a label. Tonight we will be featuring the music of Paul Levinson in his many different guises, recorded in the 1960s and early 70s. And we have Paul Levinson in the studio with us tonight, so we'll be interviewing him and he'll be playing us a brand new song so stay tuned for that we're going to start off here with paul levinson's band the other voices with a recording called no olympian heights from 1968 here on wzbc if you have any questions or comments the phone number is 617 617- Five five two four six eight six. Here we go with No Olympian Heights on WZBC.
other voices here on WZBC featuring Paul Levinson. We've got Paul Levinson in the studio today with us. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing great, Patrick. How about you? I'm doing great, too. I'm glad you could uh, come down here and join us. Well, listen, uh, it's my pleasure, and uh, it's great to hear those uh, those old songs. Uh, you know, uh, Stu Nittickman, Ira Margolis, and I, that we were originally called uh, the New Outlook. The reason why I mention that, that's a name that I came up with, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm especially fond of it. But one day we were uh, singing in Central Park. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Actually, a lot of beautiful things happen on Sunday afternoons. Uh, for example, Georges Méliès discovered the principle of film editing on a beautiful afternoon in Paris in the 1890s. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a beautiful Sunday afternoon in New York um, in, the, in the late 1960s. And uh, Stu Iyer and I were singing some of our songs, not uh, No Olympian Heights or Hung Up on Love. We were singing some of the folk rock material that uh, we had uh, been writing and were singing. And a couple walked up to us, good-looking couple, good-looking guy, good-looking woman. Uh, and they were Mike Rashkow and Ellie Greenwich. Oh, okay, yeah. And, um, you know, at first, we didn't have a hat out or anything, so, uh, <laughs> you know, I, we, we, we weren't sure if they were going to give us a quarter or something. Um, and we didn't recognize them because we didn't really know what they looked like. But uh, we started talking, and uh, what came out of that is uh, Ellie and Mike signed us to their production company. And the, the two uh, cuts that uh, we just heard, No Olympian Height and uh, Hung Up on Love, actually were the, the A and B side of our second single that was released on Atlantic Records. The first single was a song uh, called May My Heart Be Cast Into Stone, which also had Hung Up on Love as the B side. Okay. And uh, I actually wrote Hung Up on Love with Mikey Harris, who in those days was uh, married to Mike uh, Rashkow. Okay, we'll be featuring a song with her singing a little later. That's right. Oh, that's cool. uh, it's one of my favorite songs, Love Colored Glasses. Um, and uh, what's interesting about No Olympian Height, I mean, your listeners might uh, like to know, it was written by Brute Force who uh, actually, in the early 60s, was a singer and writer with the Tokens, you know, the fabulous group oh, okay, that, yeah. that did The Lion Sleeps Tonight. <laughs> and um, But by the mid-60s, he sort of branched out on his own, and uh, he, he wrote No Olympian Height, and as soon as we heard it, we thought it was, uh, uh, you know, really great. Uh, yeah, it has great lyrics. It's, it's spectacular. No, playful lyrics in there, yeah. it's great. No Olympian Height, No Majesty. What's interesting is the song is entitled No Olympian Height, without the S. But I guess someone at Atlantic Records, their fingers slipped when they were uh, <laughs> setting the label, so they put an S on it. Oh, okay. Works. I think it works okay either way. Okay, so we're going to hear another song coming up here, with including Ellie Greenwich called uh, The Definitive Rock Chorale. Can you tell me a little story about them? Yeah, well, The Definitive Rock Chorale was really an early super group, um, and so it consisted of Ellie Greenwich, Tony Wine, Ron Dante, who also was the voice for the Archies, and the voice for a group called Gallery, and the voice for a group called The Cufflinks. He has a great voice, and he's still actually singing. Um, but uh, um, Mike Rashkow and Ellie Grant went into the studio and got together a bunch of the greatest singers around. Steve Tudinger was another one. Um, and they recorded a couple of songs. And one of them was a song that I had just written called Picture Postcard World. 
and it was released on Decca Records, and no one ever heard of it since, until <laughs> this very minute. Well, actually, it was uh, reissued on a compilation on Radioactive Records this year called Utopia Daydream, New Rebel Volume 4. So if you like what you hear, you can actually pick up this next song on a compilation CD. So, must be hot if it's Radioactive Records. <laughs> so here we go with the, the definitive rock chorale with Picture Postcard World, written by Paul Levinson here on WZBC. If you have any questions or comments, the phone number here is 617-552-4686. And you can go online at wzbc.org. Okay, here we go with Picture Postcard World.
You're listening to 90.3 WZBC, and we just heard an unreleased song by The Vogues, Unbelievable, Inconceivable You, which was written by Paul Levinson, who we have here in the studio tonight. And I'm curious, Paul, uh, what's the story behind that last song we just played? Well, the Vogues were always one of my favorite groups. Uh, I thought you are the one. I still think you are the one. You know, you're the one that I'm dreaming of. I, I always love that song. Uh, and Five O'Clock World was a pretty good song, too. But I actually, when I wrote Unbelievable, I had no idea who would sing it. And, uh, in fact, what happened is before the new Outlook uh, was signed by uh, Mike Rash, Cowanelli, Greenwich, we were signed to Bobby Darren's publishing company, oh, okay. TM Music. And a guy by the name of Erwin Schuster, one of the great impresarios of rock publishing, he passed away a few years ago, unfortunately, um, were, they, were interested in the songs that, that Stu Nittickman and I were writing. Anyway... We left uh, uh, TM Music, went with Mike and Ellie, but we still had a relationship with Erwin Schuster. So one day I wrote this song, Unbelievable, Inconceivable You, and uh, I ran into Erwin Schuster in the street, actually on the corner of the Brill Building. He said, oh, yeah. what's doing? I said, well, I just wrote a new song. He said, come upstairs, play it for me. I did. He liked it. He got it out to the Vogues. So far, things were really going great. <laughs> the next thing he told me, the Vogues were definitely going to record it, and it was going to be recorded on a new session they were doing for a new label. I think they were originally on a company called Seco Records or CC Records, I forget the exact name, but they had just left that company to uh, go with Reprise Records, which was a division of Warner Brothers, a huge company. So they recorded that uh, version that you just heard but then some genius there got the <laughs> idea well you know maybe we should make them sound less rock and roll more like the Letterman and so they went back into the studio did turn around look at me oh, and okay. that was released as a single it was a huge hit it was a great job I mean the group sounds great on it but they went off in that more sort of pop standard uh, ah. direction and so unbelievable languished in the backwaters of uh, sound until this minute. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, hopefully they'll uh, put out some kind of Vogue's box set or reissue, and maybe it'll show up on that. Yeah, well, I, I was talking about Unbelievable on Spectropop uh, two or three years ago, and a lot of Vogue fans wrote to me, and I sent them <laughs> copies of the MP3, and, and they enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, the Vogue sound really great there. You know, the falsetto, the lead, it's, it's classic. You are the one yeah. uh, five o'clock world Vogue's. All right, so uh, up next we'll be featuring Donna Marie singing Sunshine Mind. And now uh, Donna was a singer with the Archies, I hear? Donna was a singer with the Archies, and she and Ronnie Dante used to go on tour together because, of course, the Archies were a cartoon group, yep. so you couldn't exactly have a cartoon character on tour. <laughs> uh, but they were the voices, and um, Donna Marie went off on her own uh, while she was still with the Archies doing songs under her own name. And this song, Sunshine Mine, uh, was recorded by Jimmy Wiz Wisner. He, uh, he produced it, actually. Donna Marie recorded it, and it was released on Columbia Records in the late 1960s. That's amazing i just one i wrote this on the piano in my then girlfriend's house uh, tina vazik and uh the piano was so good and i liked her so much that we got <laughs> married <laughs> awesome yeah all right so we'll hear donna marie singing paul levinson's song sunshine mind here on wzbc if you have any questions or comments do give us a call here at 617 552 
4686.
Mikey Harris there singing a song she wrote with Paul Levinson called Love Colored Glasses. Now, Paul, did that song ever actually come out? No, it, it didn't. And um, this uh, Love Colored Glasses has always been one of my favorite songs. Yeah, that's and, definitely one of my favorites you, you uh, wrote, thanks. too. And, uh, you know, I mean, I got the idea, I don't know when or how, Love Colored Glasses, and I wrote a couple of lines, and uh, I, I called up uh, Mikey Harris, because we had said we wanted to write some songs together. We wanted to bring about three or four songs together, actually. Oh, yeah? But this was, you know, the first one. And uh, I told her the title. She said, great. Uh, so I went over to her house, you know, later that day, and and by the time I got over there, I had ninety eight percent of the lyric. I mean, that's you know sometimes how these things go when you get a lyric, you know, and, and it feels right. One of the things I loved about that lyric is the line I have, uh, you know, uh, never you know sunshine and punch line. I, I yeah, like yeah. those kinds of like audacious, <laughs> which actually harkens back to hung up on love, which is another song that that uh, Mikey and I wrote, where I have the gall uh, to to write. I'm uh, sunshine and lunchtime. <laughs> so as I, I, you know, I have something about lunchtime and punch time and sunshine in my brain. Um, but uh, Mikey had a great voice, didn't she? And she still yeah. does. I mean, she sounds so good on that demo. And uh, you know, that that slightly off-key falsetto there that you hear in the background is me uh, <laughs> singing uh, harmony with Mikey. But we had a really, you know, good time producing it. And um, it's really only a demo. And I'm not even sure who we were thinking about. As a possible group, maybe the association, I don't know. But that sounds so good to me. I think if it were released today uh, oh, as a God, single, yeah. it, it could be a big hit record. <laughs> Take a look at the world through love colored glasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's amazing that it never came out. I mean, it's just so definitive, like 1968, you know? Yeah. I think I saw uh, somewhere that there may be a gospel song that someone wrote a year or two ago called Love Colored Glasses. Oh, really? Because, I mean, you can't copyright a title. And uh, yeah. I, that person probably didn't even know about this Love Colored no, Glasses. But we had it first back in the, in the <laughs> 1960s. All right. So up next, we'll be featuring a couple of more studio demos that Paul Levinson wrote and recorded, but that were never actually released. So up next, we'll be hearing a song Paul wrote with Boris Midney. Now, Boris Midney is best known for a slew of pretty awesome uh, disco records he put out in the late 70s, early 80s. Now, how did you meet up with uh, Boris Midney? Um, there was a... Um Remember, I mentioned Erwin Schuster. I mean, in those days, there were these guys, occasionally women, who worked for publishing companies, and they were really more than people who just buy songs. They would sometimes even put writers together. So there was a guy by the name of Bob Reno, and I can't remember the name of the publishing company he worked for, but I had sold him some songs. And one day he said to me, you know, there's a guy by the name of Boris Midney that you might want to get together with, because although I write words and music, I'm mostly, uh, you know, about words. And Boris uh, writes music. So I said, sure. And uh, even then, Boris was an incredible character. He had uh, escaped from the Soviet Union. Really? Yeah, he was a saxophone player, a jazz man in the Soviet Union. But he did something that angered <laughs> the Soviet <laughs> officials, so he defected. What, what did he do? Who? I, I think he told me he slept with Nikita Khrushchev's secretary. <laughs> Well, who knows? I mean, would, you know, he's a good-looking guy. It's certainly possible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he defected, you know, right up there with Barishnikov. And, you know, and um, 
we sat down and wrote a bunch of songs together. We have another good song called Token Man uh, that we wrote. But but this was probably uh, our best song called Teacups and Tapestry. And uh, this was one of the things where I just wrote the lyrics completely before I even heard a drop of music. Gave it to Boris. He called me up, said, come on down and hear it. And this is what I heard. Oh, okay. So he is he involved in the recording? He He, he produced it. Okay. And uh, if you hear any saxophone in the recording, which I think there is, that's him playing saxophone. Okay, yeah, there, there's definitely some horns in there. That's right. Uh, but we have a studio singer. I don't know who it is, and uh, we got a couple, you know, some uh, female uh, studio singers, and they're doing background. Okay, so here we go with Teacups and Tapestry, a song written by Paul Levinson with Boris Midney here on WZBC.
Linda Kaplan there singing a studio demo that she co-wrote with Paul Levinson called Skyscraper here on WZBC. Now, Paul, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you end up writing songs with uh, Linda Kaplan? Well, it's interesting, you know, playing uh, Teacups and Tapestry, Boris Midney back-to-back with Skyscraper, Linda Kaplan. Teacups and Tapestry is very sophisticated, uh, almost has like a Soviet Turkish influence, you know, with that jazz sound. Uh, and Skyscraper, incredibly simple and beautiful. Um, Linda Kaplan uh, actually uh, was uh, friends with some people uh, that uh, my then-girlfriend, now wife, Tina, knew. Oh, okay. And uh, so that's how I met her. And um, she was also uh, a student at the City College of New York, where I think Ah. at that point maybe I was a senior. I hardly attended any classes at that point. (laughs) I was outside singing harmony with the new (laughs) outlook. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, Linda and I started talking, and uh, she told me she liked to write music, and she played me a couple of songs that she wrote, and I thought they were great. And uh, I gave her this lyric, Skyscraper, and uh, I was delighted with what I heard. And um, the amazing thing about Linda, when when she made that recording of Skyscraper and we wrote the song about six months earlier, she was like 17 years old. Wow. Know, a sweet l- little kid. I mean, I was, I don't know, maybe 22 or something. But... Um, she uh, later went on, uh, and it's not surprising, she has unbelievable talent, to write the Toys R Us jingle. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Yep, okay. That was enormously successful. Then she started her own uh, advertising publicity firm, uh, now called Kaplan Thaler, and they are responsible for you know the Clairol commercials, the Affleck quacking duck you know <laughs> commercials uh so she has an enormous commercial sense and an enormous uh talent we were out of touch for many many years and oh, yeah. we got back in touch just a year or two ago and uh we, we had uh, dinner together, and uh, she, of course, knows Tina, and I. we met her husband for the first oh, time. okay. Yeah, and uh, so she's doing great. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, Let me say one other thing about that song. Um, I thought after September 11th that somehow that song became oh, more yeah. meaningful, you know, a sort of, uh, you know, ode to, to a skyscraper. It's not something that people usually write about, but they are really beautiful things in their own way. Yeah, that's an interesting... Uh, Interesting point to make there. All right, so up next we will be featuring a song that Paul Levinson helped produce by a group called Protozoa. Now, this single came out on Buddha Records. It's a song called Ring Around My Rosie. 
I first discovered it on sort of a bootleg compilation series that I can't really name on the air. <laughs> but basically, Bubblegum Mother F um, series. Sort of not very legitimate compilations, but a good way to hear a bunch of bubblegum music. And uh, I'm curious to hear how you hooked up with the production over at Buddha Records. Well, what happened was, um, a, you know, in a few minutes we'll be playing some cuts from Twice Upon a Rhyme, which is an album uh, I wrote most of the songs with Ed Fox, and Ed Fox and I produced it. Uh, Peter Rosenthal is also on that album playing great guitar. We recorded most of that album uh, at a place called A1 Recording Studios, the owner of which and the engineer was a guy by the name of Herb Abramson, who we didn't realize when we first walked into the studio, this was the Herb Abramson who helped found Atlantic Records uh, in the 1950s and he was originally partners with Ahmed Erdogan oh, and wow. Chewy Erdogan and all those people Jerry Wexler they eventually bought Herb out and he decided to you know run his own studio okay one day when ed and i were in you know recording some songs from twice upon a rhyme herb said hey there's a group from pennsylvania that you know you know is in here they wanted to rent a couple of hours to record they have some great bubblegum songs why don't the three of us produce it and then see if we can sell it to a record label Anyway, that group, I forget what their original name was, but it was a Pennsylvania group. The lead singer was David Fox, no relation to Ed Fox. Uh, and he, he wrote a bunch of nice songs, including uh, Ring Around My Rosie. We recorded it. You can hear me wailing with falsetto near the end. You know, oh, okay, my, you're my, on the my, song. My, cool. my, yeah, you know, I can't help it. I <laughs> jump into every song. <laughs> but uh, we, as independent producers, we approached Buddha Records. They liked it. They released it. Um... And they didn't like the name, whatever the name of the group was. So I came up with the name Protozoa <laughs> because when I was in high school, I worked on the bio squad, you know, the biology squad. Yeah. And it was called the Protozoa squad. <laughs> uh, so somehow the name Protozoa stuck in my head. Amazing. All right. So here we go with Ring Around My Rosie, one of the great lost bubblegum songs from the late 60s here on WZBC. Ring around the rosy, just like 
someday, who knows? We may hear our son sing as he grows. Listening to Mary Goes Round by Trousers, a studio group with Bruce Scott singing and a song written by Paul Levinson and Ed Fox. Well, so we already mentioned Ed Fox as uh, one of the three producers, along with me and Herb Abramson, of Ring Around My Rosie. Uh, this song, Mary Goes Round, was produced just by Ed and me, and it was r- written by uh, Ed and me. And uh, I guess we were so inspired by Ring Around My Rosie that we decided to write <laughs> our, our own bubblegum song. You know, a little heavier, maybe, than uh, than Ring Around My Rosie. A lot of interesting things about this record. Uh, first of all, there must have been about four or five different singers 
that we brought in to, to sing lead, and we weren't, including one guy who sounded like Frank Sinatra. He said, <laughs> come on, baby. We realized that wouldn't work. Do you have those on record? Uh, <laughs> probably somewhere, but Bruce Scott did a great job. That wailing um, uh, clarinet in the background is none other than our friend Boris Midney, who we brought wow. in to do that. Pete Rosenthal, who we'll be hearing from oh, soon okay. again, he's playing guitar. I'm playing organ. Ed and I are doing harmony along with, uh, with Bruce Scott. So we had a great time uh, doing it. Uh, it was actually released first on our, our own record company, a sort of predecessor to Happy Sad Records called oh, really? Feather Rock Records. Uh, oh, wow. Nothing much happened. And then we sold it to Wisdom Records, which was actually Jimmy Wisner's record company, the same Jimmy Wisner who produced Sunshine Mind uh, with Donna Marie. Okay. And uh, this was played in, you know, in Buffalo, of all places. And, uh, you know, every once in a while someone comes up to me and says they remember hearing the song. <laughs> oh, it, it was actually played on the Wonderama television show. It was oh, like really? a kid, yeah. And, 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 and this was actually very good news for Ed and me because we received uh, a lot of, you know, broadcast uh, royalties uh, on this. So <laughs> that always made us very happy. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you ended up recording pretty much like a solo album with your friends Ed Fox and Peter Rosenthal. Can right. you tell me about that a little bit? Well, Ed and I really got, uh, you know, right around the time we were writing Mary Goes Round, we really began writing a lot of songs, and in my okay. opinion, a lot of really good songs. I mean, my, I think my best lyrics in many ways, I mean, one of the songs, Looking for Sunsets in the Early Morning, I made my uh, featured song on, on my uh, MySpace, uh, uh, the, the, pa the page where actually I'm there talking about my science fiction novels, we'll talk more <laughs> about that later, I also have a music page, but... but um, so Looking for Sunsets in the Early Morning was one of those. Um, Not Yet Ready to Say Goodbye, we included on the album. That actually was uh, written by Linda Kaplan and me. Oh, right. And, uh, but we liked it so much we decided to put it on our album. And a little later you'll hear The Llama Will Be Late This Year. Uh, Ed was reading the newspaper one day. I mean, it sounds like something you know Paul McCartney would say, so I always like that. He was reading the newspaper one day and... and there was a headline that said the llama will be late this year <laughs> and and what the uh what the headline was about was the dalai lama was supposed to make a visit someplace he was going to be late <laughs> okay so ed said doesn't that sound like a good title for a song i said yeah <laughs> so you know we whipped out this lyric uh, Ed so you weren't smoking something, you were drinking coffee. Every, right, you know, people always say, oh my God, you guys must have been stoned out of your mind. <laughs> we weren't. <laughs> we were drinking coffee. <laughs> That's it, I guess, you know, caffeine is a strong drug. There's some sugar in the coffee, maybe that helped out too. Um, and, uh, and, and Pete, you know, is, plays about five or six guitar parts on that. We'll hear it in a few minutes. I'm playing tabla on that in the background. So, um... The, the 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 total album uh, is called Twice Upon a Rhyme, and it's become something of a cult classic. Uh, yeah, I've seen it at eBay sell for like a hundred bucks. Yeah, Tina first noticed a few years ago, uh, my wife, that uh, there was a, a place out in California that was selling cult classics. Okay. And Twice Upon a Rhyme was listed there, and um, then you know we began getting you know email from people in Japan saying, "Do you have anything to do with this album?" <laughs> We've probably sold about 50 copies of the album now wow. to people all over the world, and uh, probably 25 of those 50 to people in Japan. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's very gratifying. Uh, the album was recorded in mono because we couldn't afford to mix oh, in stereo. Okay. I was wondering about that. <laughs> <laughs> I basically, in my typical way, you know, making a virtue out of a vice, I basically scribbled in the liner notes, 
we actually prefer mono to stereo. <laughs> actually, a little later, Phil Spector made it made a similar point. So you know, maybe I was on something. <laughs> All right, so we're going to hear a track entitled "Not Yet Ready to Say Goodbye," which was written by Paul Levinson with Linda Kaplan and released on Twice Upon a Rhyme, an album Paul re- uh, released on his own label, Happy Sad Records, in 1972. So here we go with Not Yet Ready to Say Goodbye, here on WZBC.
We're featuring Paul Levinson's music tonight, and we're listening to one of the last tracks on the album. Might be, is it the last track? It is the last track, yeah. Called The Llama Will Be Late This Year. It's from an album entitled Twice Upon a Rhyme that Paul recorded with Ed Fox and Peter Rosenthal and was released in 1972 on Paul's own label, Happy Sad Records. I had a great time writing it, <laughs> uh, but actually, that that record uh, you know has a lot of interesting things. Uh, the uh, the little discussion at the beginning uh, was just a classic example. We, we wanted to uh, sort of create a context f- for our magical llama, you know, in contrast to the Dalai Lama, <laughs> e- even though it was the story about the Dalai Lama in a newspaper that uh, inspired us to write it. Uh, so I just, you know, made up off the top of my head this crazy story. And that Hawaiian herb, that's Herb, a reference to Herb Abramson. Ah, okay, yeah. And I, I feel badly about this after all these years. Herb, forgive me, I, I took a little shot at the quality of his uh, recording studio because I say, all right, we're going to put the tape on. Here it is. So, you know, <laughs> but um, we had a lot of fun doing that. That's Ed singing lead, by the way. I was singing okay. lead on uh, Not Yet Ready to Say Goodbye. I sing lead on, uh, I guess, 10 out of the 12, uh, no, 9 out of the 12 cuts. Okay, I can't do my own arithmetic. 10 out of the 13 cuts <laughs> on, on Twice Upon a Rhyme. Um, but that's Ed singing lead, a really good lead, and uh, Pete uh, playing guitar, you know, both fuzz guitar and a couple of other, you know, strange guitars in the background there. And uh, as, I, as I said before, that, that song probably more than any other song from Twice Upon a Rhyme has gotten the most public uh, acclaim. Uh, in fact, there's a guy in Sweden um, whose name, uh, his name may be Patrick also, <laughs> Patrick Lund or something, and he calls himself the llama and we've been in touch for a couple of years he heard the song and asked me about it uh, <laughs> so we've had a lot of fun with that song all right so i got a call uh a question from a caller they were wondering if you have three brains because you're a media theorist a writer and a musician well uh, i'm not even sure if i have one brain <laughs> let alone three but uh, and, and they were wondering do you, do you see a connection between the three different things well, for me, actually, uh, you know, talking, singing, writing, uh, and writing anything is, is pretty much all the same thing. It all does come from uh, the same part of, of whatever brain uh, <laughs> I may have. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, what's changed is when I wrote these songs, that was pretty much the only thing I did. And uh, then in the early 1970s, I began writing reviews of, uh, of music for The Village Voice. My first article was actually defense of Paul McCartney against a ridiculous attack by Robert Criscow of The Village Voice. I think he's still at The Village Voice. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, I then began realizing there were other ways that I could 
you know, say what I wanted to say. And actually, uh, you know, the llama will be late this year. And that little, you know, blurb at the beginning, if you think about it, is really sort of science fiction fantasy. And uh, I, I've published now five science fiction novels. My current novel is The Plot to Save Socrates, which is okay. a t- yeah, time travel story and it's my most successful novel so far. And uh, uh, the Soak Code and um, the Consciousness Plague and the Pixel Eye are uh, three novels that feature Dr. Phil D'Amato, my New York City forensic detective, who, who likes, strangely, the same kind of music I do. I, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, I wrote another novel, Borrowed Tides, about the first starship to Alpha Centauri. But since I wrote it, the uh, ship only has enough fuel to get there. <laughs> so I thought that would be an interesting setup. But I also, um, as you call mentioned, do write uh, nonfiction. Um, and actually, uh, sometimes when I'm working, I, I wrote a book called Digital McLuhan, and I was working on the book at, at the exact same time I was writing uh, The Silk Code, and sometimes I couldn't tell which I was working on. <laughs> and actually, my critics have made that point also uh, about my serious writing, but I guess they don't understand it. <laughs> but uh, So really, to, to answer your call's question, for me, it's it's really all the same you know kind of stuff it's all communication i'm happiest when i'm doing something when i'm talking (laughs) writing singing and i'm unhappiest when my mouth is shut and you know i can't (laughs) write (laughs) all right well we're gonna have to shut it now because we're gonna hear another song you wrote with uh Pete Rosenthal, Pete Alpha Rosenthal. Centaurian. Pete actually saw me on a Fox News show about science fiction. I was talking about my book, The Silk Code, in 2000, and he sent me an email, and I hadn't been in touch with him for 20 years, and I sent him uh, a couple of uh, lyrics, and this was uh, one of them called Alpha Centauri. Okay, this is a more recent recording from 2000. We'll hear Peter Rosenthal doing Alpha Centauri, written with... Paul Levinson here on WZBC.
right, there we just heard Peter Rosenthal singing Alpha Centauri, a song he wrote with Paul Levinson back in 2000. Okay, now we're going to feature Paul singing and playing live in the studio here. A song he just, I think he just wrote recently. Just a few minutes ago. What did I say about a month ago? Actually, I wrote a new line to it last night. So it's a work in progress. It's called Lime Streets. Lime Streets, prime seats. Start the show, take it slow. Plum parts, some hearts. Got it made unafraid Days and dreams can both stay green You can dodge the snow Fly in between Lime streets Time beats Pay no mind Lift the blind Shine clean, you can slide the rain and scribe the scene. Lime Street, time cheats, make your mark, shake the dark. Lime Street, prime seat. Paul, I'm glad you could uh, come down and join us tonight for the spotlight on your music. I had a great time, Patrick, and uh, it's great that you do shows like this. Uh, we love it here. So uh, thank you for tuning in to WZBC's Spotlight here on the music of Paul Levinson. If you have any questions or comments, do give us a call at uh, 617-552-4686. And uh, you have anything else you want to add, Paul? Well, just uh, hi to Tina, my wife. See you soon. And, um, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, hi to Stu Nittickman and Ira Margolis, who will be listening to this sooner or later, the original New Outlook uh, group with me and Ed Fox, who's out in California, uh, Pete Rosenthal, and uh, everyone else who are on the uh, records that we heard. All right, great. Thank, thanks so much, Paul, for coming down. My pleasure. The Light on Light Through podcast... And I'm back here with you in September 2010 uh, through the time machine of recording. And I want to thank Patrick again for that fine interview. I really did enjoy it. And let me mention again that you can find in the show notes to this episode a complete playlist of all the songs that Patrick played in that interview. That's on lightonlightthrough.com. 
You'll also find there links to iTunes, Amazon, eMusic, where you can buy MP3s of this music right away if you'd like to hear some of it, as well as links to where you can hear some of the songs totally free. That's all on lightonlightthrough.com, L-I-G-H-T-O-N, L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com. I'm Paul Levinson. I'll see you next time.